Welcome. You're listening to the Beaver Dam Baptist Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. If you would like more information about Beaver Dam Baptist Church or have questions about today's message, please visit us on the internet at www.bdbc.org. It is good to see you this morning. Um, Do I need to stay behind the pulpit, Gary? Excellent. Um, That is going to be like hog tying me, but we will try to do it. Um, So um, Alan and Tracy are on vacation, um, and then uh, Aaron and I will meet up with them uh, in California here next week at some point for the SBC convention. Uh, But do be in prayer uh, for them as they are uh, getting a little R&R, hopefully, uh, in uh, California this week. And so this morning, uh, I want to, to encourage us as a church. You see, I believe that just everything in life, it just seems like everything's a pressure cooker. Um, and it just seems like that, that we as Christians are falling prey. We're falling right in line with just the way the world is going. And so we're short, we're snippety, we're uh, curmudgeons. We're just, we're just not a, a delight oftentimes to be around. And so I want to encourage you, even as I want to encourage myself, uh, that we would know God's word and that we would obey God's word. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 12 this morning. And you can go ahead and flip over uh, to Romans chapter 12. Um, And I, I got seven expectations that I believe God lays out in his word. Okay, seven expectations. There's not going to be any points on the screen because I was delinquent and didn't get those in in time. Uh, But I'm going to tell them to you. And so whether you're a third grader or you're um, older than that, uh, I want to encourage you just to take notes. Uh, Because I believe in this section of scripture that Paul gives for us as Christians expectations as to how we are to live this life. Not a, well, maybe I'll get around to that. Maybe one day I'll do that. But everyone from young Piper Gideon all the way to the oldest of old in here, and I'm not going to call you out, Howard. And so as, as you think about where you are in the scope of life, I want you to understand that God's word has an expectation expectation for all of us. Whether we're preaching this sermon or whether we're receiving this sermon, there is an expectation that God has for us. And I believe there are seven that we're going to see in this. And so I just want to highlight them real quick. I'm going to say them and then we'll break them down uh, here in just a minute. But the seven expectations are these. One, a Christian will love others. A Christian will passionately serve the Lord. Number three, a Christian will place their anchor in Christ. Number four, a Christian will serve others. Number five, a Christian will be humble. Number six, a Christian will die to self. And number seven, a Christian will walk with the Lord. And so let us, hopefully you're in Romans chapter 12 and your copy of God's word. And so I want to read Romans 12, verses 9 through 21, and then let's try to unpack and see what the Lord has for us on this glorious day. So Romans 12, verses 9 and following go like this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent. In spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, 
Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As I've interacted with folks of all ages, I I believe that, that we are struggling to live out the basics of Christianity. I believe that instead of helping in times of need, we're often shooting our own wounded. And I I want to encourage us this morning that from God's word, that there is a higher level of expectation, that none of us have perfectly attained that, but we are all striving to place ourselves under the authority and the word of God and live out the salvation that we have professed in Christ Jesus. And so we see in this great treaty of Paul, this letter to the church in Rome, we see roughly about the first 10 chapters, Paul laying out uh, a doctrine of, uh, of salvation and what that looks like. And now in this section, in, in roughly chapters 11 through 15, we see him given uh, practical implications or practical expectations for what and how a believer is to apply that salvation to their life. And so probably most of your Bibles, like mine, at the, the subscript there in your Bible says, marks of a true Christian. And so these are things that are to be true of all of us, not just pastors, not just Sunday school teachers, not just deacons, not just those who volunteer their time, all Christians are to have these things true in their life. And so our desire this morning is to evaluate our own lives according to God's word. And so I want you this morning to evaluate your life based on the word of God, not based on your tradition, not based on what is expected, not even based on what um, you want it to be, right? I want us to evaluate ourselves based on God's word. And so at the very outset, I have a question. Who is the boss of your life? Is it you? Is it God? Or is it Tony Danza, right? Who's the boss, right? Who's the boss of your life? And so I I say that sounded tongue in cheek, but I want us to contemplate who is the boss of our life? Because probably we would all, if, you know, give the Sunday school answer, it is Sunday, that, oh, well, God's the boss of me but we live our lives in complete opposition to that statement. And so I want us this morning to evaluate 
what God's word says. And like I said, I believe there are seven expectations just from this passage that he has for all of us. So expectation number one is found in verses nine through 10. A Christian will love others. A Christian will love others. Paul begins by saying we are to love and that love should be genuine. And so let me just ask, what would it look like for your love of others to be genuine? What would that look like? Peter says similarly in 1 Peter 1.22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Do you have a pure heart or do you have a mediocre heart? By God's word and by God's power, we are to have pure hearts and we are to live a life that is marked by love for others. Paul says we should hate or abhor what is evil. Do you hate evil? Or do you like to get as close to evil as you can get? Do you like to cozy up to it? Do you like to be a friend with evil? Do you like to say, well, you're not supposed to hate anything? No, in fact, as a Christian, you are to hate evil. Do you, do I, do we hate evil? You and I should hate evil. And it's sad that in our day, that there are many professing Christians that do not hate the evil of abortion. We are to hate that. We are not to tolerate that or be okay with that sin. And so do you hate evil? Not do you hate people, do you hate evil? Because as Paul has clearly said, we are to love people, hate the evil, hate the evil in our own lives. Our love is to be marked by hating evil and holding fast to what is good. Furthermore, we go, go on and we see that Paul says we are to love with brotherly affection. Now, some of you may come from families where you, you don't have brotherly affection. You don't have siblings that you love and adore. Many of us do. I was blessed. I, I got a brother that's four years older than me. His name is Chris Hood. He lives some 600 miles away. He's one of the smartest men I know, one of the smartest people I know, but he's also simultaneously a complete idiot and I love it, okay? Uh, and so he loved me well as a teenager. He was four years older than me. He put up with my shenanigans. He still puts up with my shenanigans. He loves me well. So it makes it easy for me to love him, right? It's easy to love those who love us. But my question is, do we, do I, Scott Hood, do I love others with brotherly affection, the same way that I love my biological brother, Chris Hood, do I love others to that same degree of expectation? Do you, when you interact with people in a given week, do you love them? Do you care for them? Do you have patience with them? Do you fight for them like you would your brother? Right? Many of you are like me and sibling rivalries, right? Like you can knock down drag outs, but somebody else tries to come at your brother, like, uh, hold the phone, hold my jacket, right? Is that the way we treat other people in our life? Do we care for them? Do we love them? Am I willing to treat others with the same love and affections that I give my biological brother? Are you? In fact, Paul says, not only to, to love them, but look at verse 10 there. It says, outdo one another in showing honor. And so I just want to press in to those of you like me that are competitive. Who are you outdoing? 
right? Let's turn it into a competition. Outdo one another. I don't know how else to read that other than we're to do better than other people. And so how do you do in loving others? Are you outdoing others? Are you outdoing your neighbor in loving your neighborhood? Are you outdoing your, your coworkers in loving your workforce? Are you outdoing others? What does your life say about your love for other people? Christian, you and I are to love others. Expectation number two is found in verse 11. A Christian will passionately serve the Lord. A Christian will passionately serve the Lord. Verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, but, or do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Paul is saying, do not be lazy in your service to the Lord. All of us are wired and created uniquely, right? And so some of us are more, um, um, more predisposed to being a bump on the log, okay? I get that. But God's word does not give an excuse for you to be lazy, okay? He does not give an excuse for that. He says that you are not to be slothful in your zeal. Slothful means lazy, right? You think of a sloth just hanging there, right? Slothful means lazy and zeal means great energy. So Paul is saying, do not be lazy in your energy. But instead, what does he say? He says, be fervent in spirit. Fervent means having or displaying a passionate intensity. Do you have a passionate intensity to serve the Lord? Remember, these are expectations for all believers. All believers are to be passionate about serving the Lord. So are you, are you jacked about the opportunity to serve the Lord? Are you serving the Lord, period? There are many of us in here that aren't. We're just not doing it. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else can do that. I did my time. Please don't ever let those words come out of your mouth. Don't ever say that. Are you passionate about serving the Lord? This week starts VBS. It starts tomorrow. Prayerfully, there'll be hundreds of kids in here. There's going to be lots of adults, right, that have given of their time and their week and their energy, and they're going to come to invest in the kids. We ought to be having to turn workers away, but we're not. And so I wonder, are you passionately serving the Lord? I'm not saying you have to serve in VBS to be a believer. No, I'm not. But I am saying that you better be serving the Lord somewhere and in some capacity. The Lord has created and wired and gifted each of us uniquely. Are you using those blessings to serve the Lord? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Maybe that's all you need to hear this morning. You come every Sunday morning to early service. You walk in here. You sit down on the pew. Then as soon as the preacher says amen, you walk out the doors. You go home. You go do your life. Friends, that's not what a Christian is. It's just not. I don't know how else to say it to you, but you are to serve the Lord. So are you serving the Lord? Email me, shood at bdbc.org. Christian, you and I are to love others and we are to serve the Lord. Expectation number three is found in verse 12. A Christian will place their anchor in Christ. A Christian will place their anchor in Christ. I know many of you like to go to the lake, right? And so since gas is like $10 a gallon, we're not cruising a lot, we're just floating. 
And so when you float, right, when I float in a cove with my family, right, I try to throw an anchor out. And I, you know, sometimes I do good at this and sometimes I don't, right? Uh, and so I try to throw an anchor out to, to anchor our boat so it doesn't get bashed up onto the shore or it doesn't float off while we're swimming, right? And so the anchor steadies, it, 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 it positions the, the boat so that it doesn't get tossed to and fro. And so I want us to understand that as Christians, that same analogy is true of our lives, that we anchor our lives in Christ Jesus. Because the storms of life, the waves, the wind, the, the, just the chaos is constant. And we are sometimes scratching our head at night going, I just don't know why everything is just chaotic. But yet we never open God's word through the week. We never systematically read pray and spend time with the Lord. We never submit to the authority of his word or to his church. We, we don't, uh, we're not doing the things that God has called us to do. And yet we're surprised that our life is just adrift in the sea of life. And so I want to encourage us to put our anchor in Christ Jesus. Paul tells us just in these few passages here, he says we are to rejoice in hope. How can we have hope? In Christ alone. In Christ alone, there is hope for this day and forevermore. Do you have hope? Are you a person who looks or appears as though you have hope? Have you told your face that you have hope? How many of us are just a sourpuss? Friends, as Christians, we have hope. And I get it, man. I, I get, you know, I have no poker face, right? And so what you see is what you get with me. And that just totally frustrates some of you all. And some of you love it. And it's just who I am. That's, thanks for loving me. And so the reality is, are we living as though we have hope? That we're rejoicing in hope, come what may in life. Not only are we to rejoice in hope, but, but Paul says here, we're to be patient in tribulation. Are you patient? How can we have patience with our kids, our family, our government? In Christ alone, there is patience for every trial and situation of today. Tribulations will and are coming our way. And so most of us, some of us are, some of you are going through, and I've talked to some of you, and you're going through just, I don't know how else to say it, just like a, a living hell, right? You're there. And, and we need to be around those people and, and loving on them and supporting them and texting them and calling them, writing them cards and saying, hey, brother, sister, I love you. I'm here for you. I'm praying for you and do those things. Many of us are not experiencing much tribulation. Life is really good. It is really good. I was, I was reminded this past week, you know, just life happens, right? It just happens. And I had kind of that moment where it's going to, you know, Charlie Brown, rain cloud, you know, was, you know, this kind of pity party. And then it hit me. I, I looked around at my family and I saw my two young children standing there. They were actually sitting there at the time and my wife. And I thought, you know, that massacre just happened in Texas. That's a real tribulation dealing with that, walking through that. Okay. Having a kid who's got the stomach bug is not tribulation, all right? But we, if we're not having perspective of God's word and eternity, we can cry, woe is me, because our whole family has a stomach bug, 
And friends, we must anchor in the word of God. Are you patient in the normal situations of your life? And third there, we see that we're to be constant in prayer. Are you a person of prayer? Are you a person of prayer? We're about to start a Sunday school unit next week on prayer. We're going to spend six weeks just discussing and, and, and um, evaluating prayer. And as we began this unit, um, I reached out to, to Katie and Tara and Jake and said, hey, who would you identify in our church as people of prayer? And can I just tell you, finding six people in our church that are people of prayer was a much more difficult task than I think it ought to be. Okay. And so, and I just want to push in and just really put the blame where I think it needs to go on us men ages 20 to 45. You see, we were trying to find a, a scope of people to, to give um, some commentary, to give just some perspective, some do's and don'ts about prayer and, and wanted to, to cover, you know, young adults through old, old adults, boys and girls, you know, all the things. And can I tell you that finding young men that have a fervent prayer life was difficult. And so men, I just, I just want to uh, point you to 1 Peter 3, 7 where Peter says these words, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So your prayers may not be hindered. May I just put forth that maybe us men have an anemic prayer life because we're not loving our spouse the way Christ loves his church. So therefore, we don't even have a prayer life. Men, let's get it together. Let us be prayer warriors, believing that God hears his children. If you are anchored in Christ, then your life will be marked by hope, patience, and prayer. So Christian, you and I are to love others, we're to serve the Lord, and we're to anchor in Christ. Expectation number four is found in verses 13 to 15. A Christian will serve others. A Christian will serve others. So much can be said about verses 13 to 15, especially in this, this, this time uh, of life, this season. But I, I want to just point out two things. Hospitality, well, let's deal with hospitality first. Are you hospitable? We are to show hospitality. And so as we serve others, we're hospitable. And so I just want to ask you, are you hospitable? And so to evaluate that, I want you just to write down on your notes, who was the last person that you had to your house? Write their name and the date on your piece of paper. My guess from talking and living with you guys for some 20 years is there's not like a ton of people you're writing down in a lot of dates because we, I believe, I think we struggle with this. I agree. I, I'm, I as well struggle with this. And so I, I want to encourage you to be hospitable because God's word tells us we are to be hospitable. Not because I think it's a good idea. We are to be hospitable people. And so I just want you right now to, to make it a, a, a goal, to make it a, a resolution that you this week will have somebody to your house. 
You some this week, you don't have to worry about, oh, I gotta get the bathroom finished, I gotta get the rooms cleaned, I gotta get the laundry done, I gotta just have them, invite them. Look around the room right now. You see somebody, you're like, man, I haven't talked so and so forever. Right now, write on your notes, hey, call Billy this afternoon, invite him for dinner on Tuesday. Invite Susie over for dessert on Thursday night. Call, invite, make it happen this week. If you do not schedule it, if you do not plan for it, if you do not prioritize it, it will not happen. Stop making excuses and invite someone to your house. Rejoice and weep with others. Rejoice and weep with others. It's graduation season. It's been funeral season here at Beaverdam recently as well. So we could talk a lot about those things. But I just wonder, are you serving others? And I, I don't have the nuts and bolts about what that has to look like in your life because there's so many variations and so many things going on. But are you even aware of what's going on in your life? Are you aware of what's going on as you drive down your neighbor's street and you see the grass over their gutter? Are you complaining like, man, I wish I cut their grass so my property value would increase? Or are you firing up your lawnmower, going down the street and just mowing their grass and then leaving? Not making a big production, not letting them know, yeah, I cut your grass this week, aren't you glad? Do you have a neighbor like me? No, just go cut the grass. Cut up the tree that fell in their yard because of the storms on Thursday. Just do it. Or you know what, maybe you, you, maybe you can't, I get it. You just can't. But you know what you could do? You could pick up one of the 10,000 people that mow yards for a living and you could call them and say, you know what? My neighbor lives at such and such address. Will you mow their yard and send me the bill? Why, why can't we do that? Why are we not rejoicing and weeping with others? Sometimes we just need to, to drop a note in the mail and say, hey, I've been praying for you. I just want you to know. I don't know what to say or when to come, but I'm here. I'm here. I had lunch with a guy this week, and, man, he, he testified about how this church is loving him and his wife through a difficult situation. And I just wanted to shout to the Lord and say, thank you, Jesus, for our people stepping up to the plate and just loving a family in a difficult situation. Nobody knows what to say. He said somebody from the church called and he said, you know, I could tell you didn't know what to say. And I just told him like, hey, I know what's going on. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to tiptoe around it. Thank you for calling. And so, man, I love it. I love it when we do these things. And many of you guys are doing several things that I'm unaware of. And I just wanna say, keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep serving others well. We're quickly running out of time. Christian, you and I are to love others, serve the Lord, anchor in Christ, and to serve others. Expectation number five is found in verse 16. A Christian will be humble. Let me just ask you, are you humble? Read those verses right there. Verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Spirit convict, lay that on each of us where we need it. Are you humble? Where might we need to confess our lack of humility? So Christian, you and I, we're to love others, we're to serve the Lord, we're to anchor in Christ, we're to serve others, we're to be humble. And expectation number six is found in verses 17 through 20. A Christian will die to self. A Christian will die to self. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably 
with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Man, that's so hard. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Are you treating others with honor? Are you doing everything in your power to live peaceably with all? Are you seeking vengeance? Are you feeding your enemy? Are you giving your enemy something to drink? I believe we have to die to self in order to be faithful and God honoring in these five areas. So Christian, you and I are to love others. We're to serve the Lord. We're to anchor in Christ. We're to serve others. We're to be humble and we are to die to self. Expectation number seven, our last point is found in verse 21. A Christian will walk with the Lord. It's the very thing I told Papa right before we, we did her baptism. Her spiritual journey is not over. It's just beginning. She's to be faithful to the end. She's to adhere to all these things that, that I've been describing this morning. You know, if you look back at these, these six things, these six expectations, and they're not true of you in any form or fashion, stop calling yourself a believer. Because if we are followers of Christ, we will do these things. We will do these things. We will not be perfect. We will ebb and flow. We will struggle. We'll prayerfully be, be getting better and more, um, more consistent in all of them. But friends, that is the expectation of a believer. The expectation is that we walk with the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Simply put, when we are walking with the Lord, we will overcome evil. Not because of how smart or how spiritual or how great you are, but because of God because of the Holy Spirit that resides within you. Are you, are you trusting? Are you depending? Are you leaning on Christ? As a child of God, walk with your triune God and you will have confidence to overcome the evil of this world. Let us pray. God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, so that we might overcome this world. We collectively confess our inability to perfectly live up to your expectations. Holy Spirit, would you please encourage and convict each of us right now and this week where we need it pertaining to our love for others, our service to you, Lord, our anchoring in Christ, our serving others, our humility, our dying to self, our walk with you, God. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Aaron's going to come and he's going to lead us in a song of response. And so you can stay where you are. You can come forward. You can sing your guts out. But we want you to respond to the word of God. Would you stand and respond to the word?